You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. Talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host this week. We are so incredibly humbled to present to you the legendary Al Roker. Al Roker is a weatherman, journalist, TV personality, and author. He is currently the weather anchor on NBC's Today Show and co-hosts Third Hour Today. He also is an executive producer. His latest film is Gaining Ground, The Fight for Black Land. Created in partnership with John Deere, Al Roker Entertainment, and Emmy-nominated director Eternal Polk, the documentary explores the complex history of the American black farmer. As an underrepresented topic that continues to impact black farmers today, it's important to showcase the legacy of black farming in America and the devastating impact of heirs' property on black land ownership. It also addresses how landowners are reclaiming their agricultural rights and their paths to general wealth with the support of other landowners and organizations. It was an honor and a privilege to speak to Al Roker about this film, and we talk a little bit about his legacy being in the media as the known weatherman on NBC's Today Show for many, many years. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast featuring Mr. Al Roker. Thank you, Al, so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds and speak to us about this incredible, compelling documentary, Gaining Ground, The Fight for Black Land. You are the executive producer of this film, and we know you as being a media personality, being a TV show host, and yet you have a great deal of experience producing for film and television. So what led you to want to bring this particular documentary to life? Well, Jamie, it was one of these things where we had done a a story on the Today Show about this, uh, and I just kind of found it fascinating and thought, wow, maybe this um, this could be a, a, a broader story. And there's somebody in, in my company, Al Roker Entertainment, uh, Denise Green, whose job it is to see where we can find, because yeah, listen, to be able to tell these stories, it takes a certain amount of capital, a certain amount of money. Um and so she said, let me reach out to some people. And as it turns out, uh, uh, John Deere, uh, the you know farm implement country, uh, uh, this was right after uh, George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter. And a lot of companies, as you know, were just throwing money at stuff, just whatever to kind of maybe assuage their guilt or whatever uh, to show they were an ally, which I'm not knocking anybody for that, but, you know, it's whereas John Deere wanted to do something, but they wanted it to have a, a purpose. 
and something that was going to continue to uh, uh, bear fruit, not uh, pardon the pun, that uh, uh, long after we, we've we've continued to progress. And so they really liked the idea of doing uh, a story, a documentary about black farmers who are consumers of their, you know, use their products. But uh, interestingly, there was enough of a, of a organic symmetry because the original John Deere himself was an abolitionist. Mm. So uh, uh, this was literally in their wheelhouse. And so they wanted to, to support this, this project that was going to have an impact down the line. Uh, I think generation generationally for, for black farmers and farmers of color. That's that's absolutely incredible. I love the fact that John Deere is really looking to these marginalized communities to highlight and give them the visibility that they need. Um, and your documentary definitely reflects that. One one of the things that actually stuck out to me in this documentary was uh, saying that black people are an agricultural people. Yes. Um, yet there's this misnomer out there that black people don't farm. <laughs> so well, why do you think that belief is out there? Well, listen, I mean, I think you look back to the, well, there's a couple of things. Well, first of all, a lot of these black farmers and these generational farms, people will run off their land, run off their property. You know, when you think at 19, in 1920, uh, there was something like between 20 and 30 million acres of black owned farmland. Today is less than a million. Uh, uh, so uh, what are those reasons? Well, uh, heirs property rights where, where if, let's say a grandfather passes and there are 20 heirs, if one in a number of states, if one of those heirs decides to sell, they all have to sell at that price. So, but, the, and then there were, you know, there was uh, Jim Crow laws, there was out and out violence and people killed for their property, things like that. So we then jumped to the great migration where all these black families seeing no way out, moved to the North, moved West, moved uh, Northeast, moved into the Midwest. Um, so, so you end up with a, a, a number of people who now are living in urban centers, but yet we were, we were brought here you know, against our will because of our expertise in farming, you know, and brought with us crops and farming techniques from Africa and the Caribbean that, you know, were not native to this soil, you know, whether it's uh, rices or or sweet potatoes or uh, different crops. Uh, our, our knowledge of that made us a valuable commodity. Uh, and so that's so, you know, we are at our very nature farmers, you know, um, and so uh, it, it is while while our recent history is that such that, you know, we live in a lot of urban areas, but also still a lot of rural areas, uh, uh, you know, that I think that's why the narrative has been changed. Absolutely. I mean, we are a very resourceful people. And yes, an agricultural people. I, I absolutely loved that phrase in the documentary. Um, one of the things about farming, too, is that it's a form of land ownership yes. uh, and a way to amass wealth. 
how important is it for the Black community to see the value in farming as it relates to upward mobility and success? Well, look, it, it, you know, we, we highlight a number of people. One of them that stands out is P.J. Haney in the film. And, and here was a young man, went to college. Uh, uh, one of his white friends said, you know, I want to be a farmer. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, go apply for this grant for new farmers. And he said, oh, great, I'm going to do the same thing. Well, when P.J. Haney went to do that, he was literally uh, with the uh, federal farm agent was threatened with a gun, um, uh, trying to wave him off of moving into farming. Why? Because um, land is wealth. You know, it can house us, it can sustain us, it can nurture us, it can provide a living for us, which is passed down generally, generationally. Uh, it provides employment for others in our community. Uh, so, so land ownership is a, I mean, it literally is part of the American dream, whether it's, you know, a, a private home or uh, a piece of farm property. And the interesting thing, Jamie, every time we've had a screening for this movie, this documentary, people come up to us and it's one of two reactions. A, they have family members that have this farm issue in their family somewhere. But B, forget about farm, you know, somebody, you know, folks up in Harlem, you know, grandma has passed on, doesn't have a proper will for the, her brownstone. Uh, and now it goes to, you know, pro, uh, probate and, and what happens then? So uh, this is this is an issue that affects us as a people because, you know, there's a greater percentage of college educated blacks who have fewer wills than high school educated whites. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a very important issue whether you own a farm or you don't absolutely i i really look forward to seeing um, more people being exposed to this documentary because it uncovers so much information uh you during the creation of this documentary did you learn about this subject matter um while you were in the production process and what Listen, still resonates I, I, with you i had heard about it but i didn't know the extent to which it existed and permeated our community. And we're very fortunate. I, I We have a terrific filmmaker who helmed this, er, Eternal Polk, uh, who has one of the greatest names going. Uh, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's almost a name out of a Walter Mosley novel. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, Walter Mosley, besides his writing skill, he comes up with some of the greatest names in, in, in fiction, literature fiction today. Uh, but I digress. Uh, and and so, listen, it, it's an amazing topic. It's, a, it's an important topic. But if it wasn't told well, it, it wouldn't matter because nobody would see it. It wouldn't resonate with people. And Eternal brought this this story to life um, with with great characters. And when I say characters, these are real life people. But he found wonderful uh, uh, people who this problem, who have dealt with this problem, who populate this film, who populate it authentically because they're 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 living it. And and what was great was we were given the freedom to tell the story we needed to tell by John Deere. Uh, uh, 
you know, like I said, they were they were kind of footing the bill. And it was originally scheduled to be a 60 minute uh, documentary. And we showed them the first cut and they said, you know, it's really good, but we just feel it's rushed. Can you expand this to 90 minutes? Like, Whoa, never had that happen before. Uh, you bet we can. And so we were given the time to tell the stories and 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 really bring about something that I think is going to be changed. Because what happens, in, as you'll find out, uh, what John Deere did is work with a Thurgood Marshall uh, Law Institute and create these workshops so that farmers could come and and bring their 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 wills or their property or help them research in in county uh, 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 records. You know who owned the property, how was it transferred, who owned what. Uh, it, it it and so what this this film this documentary does is memorialize a process that is going to be ongoing and and will continue to to have an impact uh years down the line i hope it creates a movement for more black farmers and well interestingly enough uh uh you know i, I have a house in upstate new york in the hudson valley and the Young Farmers Association is located there. Fastest growing de demographic for uh, new farmers, uh, women and people of color. And they're, and that's the youngest group. Uh, so so I, I think there is a, a return to the land that's happening. Um, and hopefully this generational land that has been in uh, Black families and families of color for so long. And look, this, this affects... Uh, uh, Hispanic communities, it affects uh, uh, Native American communities, uh, indigenous people. Uh, it, it's 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 a big issue, big problem. It, it's systemic. I mean, you think about the food deserts and various uh, Black communities and marginalized communities. And um, like you said, bringing back to the land, returning to the land and, and seeing that hopefully there's more of us that are out here cultivating these fresh foods um vegetables and stuff into markets yeah. that help sustain these communities so I'm, I'm glad once again that you're bringing this to light one one of the things that i i want to turn this back to you you also produced a documentary about black cowboys yeah. um <laughs> and i love that is al roker entertainment's vision to highlight about like black subcultural communities that are rarely recognized is that your vision you know, uh, Jamie, I'd love to say yes, uh, but you know, we we tend to fall find these stories where we do. We're, we're at the end of the day, we're storytellers, and uh, we like to tell stories. And and um, I'd like to say I'm an equal opportunity storyteller. So if this were a story about Hispanic cowboys or whatever, uh, or there was some interesting story that was some. Somebody that was a not of color, I'd still tell that story, but I do like I do like highlighting things that people don't know about us. Um, um, you know, I, I've got another idea for a series on, you know, the the hidden figures, the other hidden figures of science um, that are there. Uh, we have a a show that's going to be coming out the end of next year on PBS in fall of, of 2024 on PBS kids. It's an animated series called weather hunters. And it's about a, a black family there. The dad's named Al Hunter. 
and he does TV weather on a local TV station. His wife is is a producer, TV producer, news producer, and his three preteen children, ages like 12, 8, and 4, uh, all are really interested in science. And they end up, they do their their TV show, their weather segment from their house. And the show is called Weather Hunters. Um, they're the Hunter family and they do weather. And so, right. but we've also worked in uh, some black history into it, uh, including uh, Al Hunter's grandfather, Wallace Hunter, was a meteorologist for the Tuskegee Airmen. And there was, there was a division of black meteorologists who did the forecasting for the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to work those things that we're doing, a, a, you know, and it's, it's looking at weather for kids without wet, making weather scary. But one of the things we're going to, one episode we're going to do is about how a lot of people think because you're black or you've got uh, uh, pigmentation in your skin, you don't have to worry about uh, the sun and taking care of your skin. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, I think these, you can tell these stories, uh, without saying, Hey, look, I'm black. You know, uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, we're telling stories that I think whether you're black or not, uh, they still will resonate with people. And Absolutely. That, that to me is like, let's not set out to only tell a story because because of skin color, but we're telling a story that's worthwhile because the you know that that is about a family or a group that has skin color, you know. Uh, but that doesn't make it colorblind. I think you lean into that. It's important, but I think the more we know about each other, uh, the more we understand each other. Absolutely. It's all universal. And I just love hidden figure stories. I love stories about groups of people that you just never heard about in history that you thought you should have been taught about in yeah, school. Exactly. And, and look, and you, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily popular to say because of what happened, but you can't change the fact that a show like The Cosby Show was, was groundbreaking and that here is an upwardly mobile, intelligent, uh, well-educated family and happened to be Black that a, a lot of the storylines were universal because you look at how the show was accepted, but it was also the story of a black family, you know, that, that it, it kind of went back and forth between that. And, uh, you know, no different than, you know, uh, uh, any other show about a family that, you know, is, you know, uh, listen, you, you watch uh, blackish, you know, it, it, it it's at once, universally accepted but it's also for those who know even down to the little cultural thing about the nod you know um it's it's uh it, it's important so it's important and it's important to tell those stories you know um so uh, you know we're we're just I, i'm just very fortunate that i've got a number of people who work with me uh at al roker entertainment who can help us tell those stories Absolutely. We're talking about the landscape of entertainment and shows like The Cosby Show and Blackish, as you mentioned. And you are a journalist, which is kind of a different form of storytelling, if you will. How how has the landscape of journalism changed from when you got started to where you are today? 
Well, look, I think, you know, it, it, in, in some ways it has remained the same. You, you, you are, you present a series of facts and with, with as little bias as possible uh, and hope that people come away more informed by what you've told them, what you've shown them, what you've uh, let them hear, whether it's radio or a podcast or an, uh, a, a, a television newscast or a print story. The, the problem now is, is that there are so many myriad sources of information, some verifiable, a lot not, that, you know, there's, 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 a, there's an extra responsibility to make sure you're telling the correct story you know i my my first news director when i first started in television in 1974 i was a sophomore in college and he goes i would rather you get it right than be first you know if if getting it right doesn't mean you're first that's okay if you're first and it's wrong we suffer institutional and reputational damage mm-hmm so, um, uh, but in, in this day and age for people to click on something, it, it, yeah. it's, it is a, um, it's a very difficult time, you know? And, and so I think that's one of those things where we need to take a breath. I mean, I, uh, listen, I've got, uh, a 36 year old, a 20, almost 26 year old and a, and a 21 year old. And it's like, just because it's online doesn't mean it's true. Uh, so that's my mantra to them. And, and, you know, can you verify it? Is it more than one source or not, or more than one source that isn't quoting the same thing, you know, because look, you know, there's, there's that old game of telephone, you know, that, uh, you know, you tell one person one thing and then by the end of the, the, the chain, it's, oh yeah, he killed a guy, you know, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, it, we're, we're in very fraught times right now, you know, the quote fake news is unfortunately whether you like how it came out it is a a, a big problem and now you add ai to that and uh, for, you know, deep fake audio and videos um you know how do you make sure what you're getting is the truth and i think at the end of the day, it may sound old fashioned, but I think you need to, you know, the more, you know, there are, there's legacy media, but there's also newer legacy media, if you will, that, that adheres to those, those tried and true tenets of, in fact, li- literally, Jamie, five minutes before, in fact, I was a little late coming to you because we, I was taking part in a, a standards and a standards uh, uh, online class at NBC you know, how do you, 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 attributing sources, making sure, you know, have we attributed it? Can we verify it, but not, can we attribute it, but also maybe we understand that it's it's correct, but we haven't been able to verify it at NBC News. Different things like that, that, uh, uh, um, you know, I think, listen, every news media organization has had its issue and maybe it's stumbled, but I think far more times than not, uh, places like NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, um, you know, they, they, you know, uh, uh, get it right because there's a whole group that's, that's sourcing and making sure those sources are correct. Absolutely. I, I wish more, uh, 
media outlets practice that. <laughs> um, and, and I also feel like social media is a huge catalyst for a lot of the issues of misinformation and disinformation. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 it always amazes me. I'll post something on Instagram, you know, and within two hours, there's a, uh, Daily Mirror, the U.S. Sun doing some story about uh, or, or even if I don't post something, you know, they'll say, you know, Al Roker burns uh, co-host Craig Melvin, you know, and and then you go into the story and it's this innocent kind of thing that was like that's that you. OK, you you created one headline, but it buried in the story is the real truth. And which goes to the we we're just looking for clickbait, you know. Uh, so that you can, you know, get your numbers up and and sell, uh, uh, you know, ads or spots or whatever it is on on social media. And and that's, you know, you can get away with that to a certain extent. But in, in eventually, like in our business, you know, there used to be like in local news, you would see a beloved TV star of such and such show uh, uh, dies. Well, it was somebody who had a guest spot in one episode in the first season that you never even knew and yeah it's too bad the person passed away but they make it sound like one of the stars of let's say friends or whatever you know just died well you know fool me once shame on me fool me twice shame on you and so you know you can do that but eventually i think people get wind of that and get wise to that and say i'm not trusting you I feel like there needs to be some accountability held there because uh, there's a YouTube channel and I'm not even going to say their name to give them clout, but they actually post videos of celebrities saying that they passed away and they're still alive and breathing. And I'm like, yeah. this is so irresponsible of YouTube yeah, you to know. allow this content on their platform. But yeah, clickbait culture, as you call it. My my last question to you, Mr. Roker, is you know you've done it all from being a noted meteorologist, author, working. Well, I don't I don't call myself a meteorologist. I don't have a degree in meteorology, so just go with weather weatherman. Weatherman, you weather person. Weatherman, <laughs> top tier weatherman, um, author, working in film and TV. What are you most proud of in your career, and what do you want to be remembered for? Gosh, I well, you know, I think what I'm most proud of is is my family, uh, my my wife Deborah Roberts, who is a real journalist uh, on ABC and just promoted to co-host of uh, 2020. Congratulations uh, to her! Yes, yeah. uh, and 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 my my kids, you know, I mean, they are. Listen, you're you're you you try to uh, balance work and your personal life and all that and. You know, I, listen, I, I probably to do it all over again there, I would have made maybe perhaps other choices uh, as far as, you know, making sure the look, there was a period of time. You're you're too young to remember this. But then they kind of said, oh, it's not about quantity time with your children. It's quality time. Well, no, it's both, really. It's quantity and quality. But um, uh, but I tried to make the time I have with them count. And. Yeah, but from a, a professional standpoint, I think, um, you know, I just like, I, I hope people uh, feel better after having watched my work than before. Um, uh, you know, that's that's kind of my mantra as far as even entertainment. I tend not to watch things where I'm going to feel worse. Yeah, you you you've got to watch the news. You got to stay up up to date, abreast of things. But 
you know, uh, to me, I'm I I like I like to go to bed in a good mood. You know, I don't. You know, people are watching The Walking Dead. I, I'm it's a I'm sure it's a terrific show, but uh, do I really want to see about a zombie apocalypse? I I don't I don't before I go to bed. No, I don't think so. Uh, I uh, I'm I'm more. You know, I, I like. Listen, I I like intrigue and all that stuff, but you know the the just the, uh, you know we've got enough of that outside. You know you can turn on the TV, uh, literally Walking Dead outside. You can turn the news on, you know, on any cable news channel, and it's like okay, great, fine, super. Uh, but you know that so that's why that's why I think it's, it's interesting with the Today Show and that it's a when you watch it over the. I used to say two hours. Now it's four hours. But yeah, you know, uh, when you watch the, the flagship broadcast, which is from seven till nine, you know you get the news you need. You get some camaraderie. You get some chit chat. Uh, you get some lifestyle. You get caught up on pop culture. You get to find out uh, food wise what's what are, what are some great recipes. Uh, you get to meet some really interesting people, whether celebrity or non celebrity. And and there's your and and there's your two hours, and uh, but I I do think at the end of the day we haven't wasted your two hours, um, and and that's I I I guess that's my I don't want people to think well I'm never getting that time back after watching this guy uh, I just I just blew that you know so if, as long as you don't feel like I've wasted your time, life is good. Absolutely, you have not wasted our time and. We value so much the time that you invested in gaining ground, the fight for Black land. Mr. Roker, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. It's an honor. It's a privilege to speak to you. I've been waking up to you every morning for many, many years on the Today thank Show. You. So it's so much uh, an honor to speak to you today. And talk it's about great when there's a, a young person like yourself saying that. I can't tell you the number of people who look like they're my parents' age and they come up and they go, Oh my gosh, I've been watching you since I was a little child. I said, that's not possible. Unless there was a time machine. No, <laughs> stop that. Well, you you are definitely a, a legend in this business. And um, again, I just appreciate your time. And thank you so much for sharing this beautiful documentary uh, with us. I, I hope that more people will get to see it. It's important. It's educational. It should be played in schools. Uh, compelling work. So and, thank and you. And you can check on where it's going to be screened. Let me just, hey, uh, uh, Brianna, my assistant, Brianna. Brianna, is it greeningground.org or .com? I can't remember. Greeningground.com. I'm sure you'll put the correction. It's gaininggroundthefilm.com. Say that three times fast. That's yeah, not uh, easy, obviously. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate speaking with you today. You bet. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. 
You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.